How can we step out of creative dormancy in order to live out loud in beauty and meaning as we embrace our full spectrum vibrancy? Gentle Musings is about being creatively seen and celebrated in our multiplicity and sweet humanness. Come with me as I weave the micro with the macro and explore how themes of gumption, belonging, desire, and fulfillment exist within the idiosyncratic space of everyday culture. Both for you and for me, Gentle Musings is about welcoming the fullness of life again and again, gently. Hello and welcome to Gentle Musings. I am so honored that you're here and so grateful. You can probably hear me um, patting my legs like this out of joy. My name is Maggie and this is episode two. If you haven't listened to episode one yet, I would head right back there because this episode is going to bridge off of the last one, which is titled Choosing Succulent Devotion. And in this episode, we're going to talk about cultivating your visions when life is especially ungrounded. If you haven't listened to the first one yet, I just want to say that I am recording this on my laptop with no mic equipment. I have no, you know, special gear that I have access to right now. And so what you're listening to is a DIY production I'm sitting on a pillow in my bedroom. I'll get to that more later. But I appreciate your patience with any kind of sound quality. And I'm just grateful that you're here to see this evolve in process. Because one of the things that I just decided was I'm not going to wait until I can afford the gear to make a high production podcast or anything like that. I'm just going to start and do this really DIY style and know that it will reach who it needs to reach just the way it is and hopefully it gives you some permission to just jump into it now whatever you're called to start making or start taking the steps forward on even if the circumstances aren't 100% ideal even if there's some makeshift quality to it and I'll be talking about this kind of makeshift um, aspect, you know, in the episode today, and it'll probably be woven through all of the episodes in certain ways because it's part of my creative practice. I um, have learned to be really scrappy and over time have been developing how to separate that from pushing so hard and from, you know, Um, hustling so hard and a sense of urgency while still maintaining that kind of make-do, let's see what happens within these limits attitude and willingness. And so this is what we're talking about today. Before I jump into it, I want to cover two things, which is first an element of gratitude and the second is just kind of grounding here and touching base with you before we really get into the stuff. So first, I just want to say a massive, massive gratitude for every single person who has listened to the first episode when it came out this month. I was feeling this simultaneous mix of 
bashfulness with a, a kind of bubbliness inside and a really solid, sturdy gratitude at the same time, knowing that people that I love were listening to this on their morning commutes and when they were getting ready for work. And it was a funny thing that I didn't expect because of maybe the time difference when I sent out the email saying that there was a first episode that it became a part of people's mornings. And maybe that's just podcast time. You know, I listen to podcasts in the afternoon and the evening generally. Um, I'm also curious to hear from you. When, when do you like to listen to audios? That's something that can help me kind of imagine how, how this lives into people's lives. But it just was unreal that this was that the first episode was a part of people's mornings and the feedback that I got was so meaningful so I just want to say thank you if you liked that first episode and you haven't left a five-star review yet it would mean the world or if you sent it to a friend who would benefit from it um, or shared it on social media it means so much and also just privately, maybe letting me know what landed, if that's what you feel called to do. You know, I'm just a person in my bedroom, like I said, sitting on a pillow, recording this in a very uh, low-tech kind of way. This is not a production where I'm in a recording studio and there's a lot of money backing this or a team backing this. This is just me following my heart, loving up the makeshift, showing up for it, and trying to be of service in the ways that I feel will be most useful in a really enduring kind of way. So I aim for these episodes to be highly resonant and relevant to you and where you are specifically in the context of your individual life and the circumstances right now. And trusting that if you're listening to this, something is meeting you that you might not know yet, you might already know, I might not know, I might have hopes around it, but it's meeting you where it needs to, and also that these episodes can be really timeless so that you can refer back to them. I love, love listening to old audios or podcast episodes so much when, you know, they kind of become a touchstone. And that's also what I'm talking about today in this episode, which I'll, I'll name what that is very soon. But that's the background. That's the context of Gentle Musings right now. A huge thank you. And thank you for being here. The other context, which, you know, I'm kind of giving away maybe uh, where this is positioned in time. We can obviously see the release dates of every episode. I'm not going to, hopefully not going to give away when the, the kind of wider context of each episode so that you can't locate it in time um, precisely so that it's timeless, but I just want to say this. It is an eclipse, and we are in Mercury retrograde right now. We're kind of right smack dab between the eclipses, and I've really been feeling it. And I want to say that because I have a couple of things to say about that. I won't be talking about the cosmic landscape in every episode because it's not my area of expertise, and I don't tune into it all of the time. But these last few days have felt totally sideways and just like I feel like it happens a lot where things really it's it's almost laughable and this is one reason I made pivoting toward wholeness is because things just go wrong 
in the small ways and in large ways in in an absurd, laughable, nothing dire kind of way. And this week was like that. And so I want to say that because I am coming to this with with that um, background in my own personal life. And maybe you are too. Maybe you have been really feeling like you're churning water and things are not working or there's the missed appointments or the miscommunications or any of that kind of wackiness. The thing the thing that happened for me, one of the things, just going to say, is spilled tomato sauce. And I'm saying that because you might also surely know that place when you drop the freaking marinara jar and it the tomatoes splatter everywhere, or the can of tomato somehow gets knocked over and there's tomatoes splattered everywhere. Something about spilled tomatoes or tomato sauce is always that kind of peak point for me of like, okay, this this day or this week is just, is just sideways. I don't know what's happening right now. And it's always a moment for me to kind of laugh and be like, we've, we've reached the spilled tomato sauce point of the adventure. And so that's just one of the things that happened. Um, And I was really noticing how I was moving through this week, especially because I just had my birthday. So it's my own personal new year. And whenever we have the new year or the new, you know, Gregorian calendar or our personal new year, um, there can be pressure of, okay, now it's time to level up. Now it's time to really embody what I've been calling in, or now it's time to really step into my values. Or, you know, those, those days or those moments, I should say, when you make a pact with yourself that tomorrow you're definitely not going to do that thing that you keep on doing. You know what I mean? It could be, it could be like checking social media. I am definitely not going, I I promise this is, tomorrow's the day when I'm not going to do that and I'm going to switch out of that life draining habit and this is just going to start tomorrow. Or I'm a nail biter. I just have been for a long time. I have made so many promises to myself about not biting my nails the next day. And yeah, maybe you know this too. And this can of course span the range from these little kind of gritty habits that we don't necessarily want to hold to maybe some really serious self-destructive patterns. And I think that that can get heightened when it is the new year or it is a new month or it is a new week or it is a new birthday year, you know? So I had just really been kind of watching this... (laughs) this crashing of the excitement around my birthday and what that felt like, you know, I am so grateful to be able to spend time with really brilliant friends that inspire me. And I made rum cake, which is the funniest birthday cake. I don't, this is something, I mean, this is something my family had at Christmas. Maybe it's not a Christmas cake, but it just, in my mind it is. It's a very 1970s cake, right? It was a nod to my grandmother. (laughs) Funny enough, you know, I didn't mean to align that with Mother's Day, but this joy and lightness and excitement of stepping into a new year while also feeling like, what the heck, this week is sideways. And so I was really watching how those were interacting. And I'm naming all of this because you might be feeling that more tornado side of things. One of the things that I was noticing was 
it might sound like from what I was sharing earlier, you might have also had this thought before of like, I really need to catch a break and not like a career break, but I just, I need to catch it this week. I need to catch a break. Something just need a little bit of calm, please. So that we can just glide through this week a little bit easier until we hit the weekend and can maybe catch up on sleep. The opposite of that was what I was feeling this week, which is that I could not catch the wave where I could not catch the current. And I know that this probably makes a whole lot more sense if I were a surfer, or maybe if you are a surfer, this makes more sense, but I couldn't catch the current of, you know, when you need to channel your energy into a project or a task or some kind of desired outcome, you want to catch the current you want to enter into a state of flow, or at least some level of ease, um, some level of things working. And I feel like it's a very Mercury retrograde thing, right, of not being able to catch the current in terms of like, there's a tech issue that happens. And then there's like, oh my gosh, I just missed my appointment. And then I have a freaking migraine and I never get migraines and this kind of thing. Catching the current is a bit different than needing to catch a break, right? Because it's not so much about relief. It's about catching a wave of vitality and a purposefulness, you know? And I think about the opposite of catching the wave as feeling aimless. And maybe one reason personally for me that I was feeling aimless was because of having so much sugar. If you have been feeling um, periods of aimlessness, you know, it I've noticed for myself that it has to do with sugar. It could be a bunch of different things. Yeah, catching the current. And it's this feeling when we don't, right, of it's like wading through muddy water where you just, every time you have to take a step, it takes extra effort and it takes an extra long time. What I noticed in practicing pivoting toward wholeness was not just noticing that and naming it and pausing and asking a kind question, and seeing what the next kindest choice or action I could make was, but trying a new way. And it took me until, I don't know, five o'clock in the afternoon or early evening to say, you know what, I'm gonna try the way of least resistance. So after everything has gotten done that needs to get done in terms of the bare minimum, the basic necessity and asking for support in the ways that you know you need support, Once you do that, what happens when you try the path of least resistance and just do what fits your capacity for the day or for the week without being in this grappling place with yourself of wishing that you had more capacity? When clearly you've been putting in the effort, you've been putting in, you know, the you've been trying different different ways of going about a task or something that has to happen or uh different ways of being in relationship to your energy. And if the fact is that your capacity is limited, what happens when you choose to take the path of least resistance as a way of practicing pivoting toward wholeness? And for me, that looked like taking out the recycling and taking out the garbage and I changed the litter and I cleaned out one of our pantry drawers a little bit and I just was doing what I call home care I was cleaning. I call it home care. Um, Just like when I 
when I work out, I call it movement. <laughs> so I was, I was practicing home care and I wasn't planning to practice home care. It wasn't on my list. It was funny enough, what was the path of least resistance? And it was setting myself up for the next morning or for the rest of the week. And I felt like it was completely in my capacity to do. And because of doing that, by the end of the day, I actually felt really content. I actually felt like, huh, okay, I'm feeling more resourced. I'm feeling more stable in myself because I was working with my capacity, because I tried a new way and I went with the flow. And sometimes we have to go with the flow and see what happens and then realize, oh, that was actually a perfect way to spend an hour or 30 minutes or a whole afternoon. The other thing that I want to offer here, if you've also been in this similar place of not being able to catch the current, where you just, it's like you can't get into it, or it just is feeling really like a drag, something's not working, right? Another thing would be to look into your infradian cycle. So if you have an infradian cycle, if you are on your period or follow your, your infradian cycles separate from a circadian cycle, right? So this would be the 28-day cycle. If your body is living in that way, then looking into what tasks, what activities are best suited for those different periods. And you can also just do this with the moon, right? You can do lunar-aligned activities. And so looking there and seeing, oh, okay, cool, so I'm in my luteal phase, so maybe this actually isn't the best time to try to, you know, drag myself into this task that I actually can put off for a week. And now, oh, this activity is potentially more aligned, and actually it sounds a lot more intriguing, <laughs> and I can see the ease there, you know? So looking into that as well. And the last one, the last thing that I have in terms of practicing pivoting toward wholeness when the days have gone sideways, I, I have a million of these because I feel like this is just a common thing in my life, um, <laughs> is you change your, you, you just get horizontal. <laughs> Basically, you get horizontal if you can, if that's available to you. You lay on the freaking floor for one minute or for 10 minutes or you take a nap. If you if you can take a nap, you take a nap. If you have in some way, let's say it's a Saturday, the possibility of taking two naps, take two naps without any guilt if possible, just giving yourself all of the permission to go horizontal, you know, change your orientation in space so that you can gain a new perspective and so that your body can just <sighs> let it go for a minute up to however long your nap can be if you can take a nap. Let me know too if you also have any practices that you do when the days are feeling really in flux, really just like what is going on? How, how do I move through this with patience? Maybe a bit of humor if it calls for it. How can we stay resourced and stay present when things are topsy-turvy. And I'm not talking about in dire ways. I'm talking more about life interruptions as being actually just life. <laughs> you know, when we have these interruptions in our day and it's like, oh, this was interrupting the plan and then remembering, oh yeah, that's, that's life being life. Life interrupts. And how do we move through that 
in a way with some levity when it's called for. All right, so here I am sitting in my bedroom when I started to record this. We had sunlight and now the sun is setting. And I'm sitting in front of an altar. In the first episode, I was also sitting in front of an altar of sorts, um, also known as a bulletin board, <laughs> that had printed images, like collaged images, what would look like a vision board to some. Um, but as I explained in that episode, it's not, the images don't necessarily capture um, aspirations that I'm working towards so much as a felt sense that I aspire to live into. There's a lot of paintings and candles <laughs> on that image altar. So that's what I was sitting in front of in the first episode. And in between recording that and recording this, I actually made a physical, traditional altar, you know, like a tabletop little thing that you sit at that comes to about my sternum. And when I say a physical little, did I say a physical little thing that you sit at? I said that because <laughs> it's not a table. I don't have a little table. It's actually a cardboard box that has been transformed. So I'm going to talk about this very soon. This altar is not my first. <laughs> um, it's definitely my most, let's say, alive one, though, you know? It's my most alive altar because I have been approaching it in a totally different way than what I've tried in the past. And so, a couple things about this. If you have tried to make an altar because this is something that maybe you've seen friends have or have seen on social media or have read about in books around spiritual practices and it does not work for you, for whatever reason, I keep listening, <laughs> keep listening because same, and I'm going to kind of cover that and some of the ways that I've worked through that that could be very helpful for you too. I'm sitting in front of this right now on a pillow. There are gorgeous orange lilies that they have not bloomed yet, but the shape of them in this small short vase that I have, it's a white tiny bud vase from Japan with this kind of gold detailing that I actually got off of the street here. They have something really cool in Germany called Zuverschenken, which is like for the taking. And people put out boxes in front of apartments and also in the foyers of apartments with the sign Zuverschenken. And you can find clothes and books and shoes and kitchen stuff. So much of what's in my house is Zuverschenken. So, um, or I should say it was, now it's, now it belongs to me. Um, so this this beautiful Japanese vase is holding these really kind of architectural orange two, two blossom lilies from a dear friend of mine. And so that's in front of me on my altar space right now with another pink candle burning, which was the thing in the last episode. I'm sitting in front of this because we are talking about cultivating visions when life is especially ungrounded and creating a spatial material structure and support and container for the cultivation of your visions, for returning to your visions and taking steps forward on them, especially if life feels so full and especially if you feel alone in it or if there's a lot of fear present or, you know, especially if the visions aren't completely clear 
and you're working through haziness with it and a lot of doubt. Creating a space that is physical and that is specifically marked by beauty, by a composition, a vignette of beautiful, meaningful objects is a game changer. And I feel really um, called to talk about this right now because I made this in a makeshift way where I don't have a whole lot of objects to go on it. And that has always been a resistance piece is not having the ideal circumstances to move forward on that desire of creating an altar. Just like with doing this podcast, the circumstances are a bit makeshift. It's not totally ideal. And it could be a stopping point for a lot of people. Things come up when we're working with makeshift or less than ideal conditions. You know, things come up. I'm talking about it with that awareness because maybe you have also felt that too. When we see photos of altars, or when I've seen photos of altars, I should say, they're so styled and ideal and the, you know, the kind of commercial mindfulness industry is really, I mean, it's really hinged on influencer culture too. And a lot of us don't have the space for something like that, or the small, beautiful old table, or the things to go on top, or, you know, maybe you have a baby that might pull things from the altar space, or a cat that will knock things over, and you can't have fresh flowers on it. Things like this. So I'm going to talk about this and share a practice that is specifically for you if you have a active creative practice or a creative practice that you're looking to step into and move forward on as it pertains to your vision. So I do this for my business, for Regarding Do, which first and foremost is my vocation and my creative practice, as I talked about in the first episode. You might do this for your business, this practice that I'm going to name later, and creating an actual altar for your business if you run your own business, or if you're an entrepreneur, or if it's something that you want to be doing. If that's not part of your reality, it might look like, I'm imagining, if you want to write a book, creating an altar for that book, or if you have a general creative practice, if you're a painter, you know, or if you're just trying to get in touch with your creativity, maybe you're not making anything. If you want to express something out into the world, if you want to channel your energy into a clear expression that serves someone, a specific group of people or individuals in some specific way for a given transformation, a given mission or message, then this practice that I'm going to share is going to be so useful for your process. The way that Gentle Musings works is I'm going to talk about this in a really non-linear conversational kind of atmospheric way and so we're going to talk a lot about the different aspects of what creating an altar can mean and what it can look like especially (laughs) not just when it comes to cultivating visions but especially when it comes to rewriting stories of discipline so this is why the last episode is so important to choosing succulent devotion is because This is one way that I've been able to rewrite my relationship to discipline or to, you know, even opening to the word devotion um, or showing up or commitment or whatever word, you know, works in for you. It's been a key piece in rewriting that. It's been a key piece in getting grounded as someone who used to have tons of frenetic energy. And I tried making 
altars and having a, a formal meditation practice and a sitting practice over so many years and it didn't work. And I'm not saying I have the answers right now, but I am going to talk a little bit about that if you can also relate to that. If you're also feeling potentially alone in that, still your desire for having something like that is strong, okay? The thing about creating a, a, what should I even call it, you know, this kind of spatial container based on beauty and showing up and service and cultivation can act as a counterweight because it's a space of reverence. It's a space of, you know, no show, no performance, just showing up with pure sincerity. The piece that I had been missing for so long was that the reverence and this is really, you know, if, if you go back to the first episode, it's tied with the associations that I named around discipline. The reverence was so stuffy and, and really constricting and the formalness was just intimidating, I guess. You know, it was like, I, I think that this comes up with even just having a formal meditation practice without an altar is like, oh my gosh, this just feels too heavy almost. And the piece that I was missing for so long was that when you make an altar, it's a it's a a place for creative expression and beauty, yes, but also play. Part of creative expression is playfulness. And when we approach having a practice like this, or when we approach cultivating our visions, if it happens in different ways, with a sense of playful reverence, so much opens up. And there's so much access to joy and wonder. You want to go back to it. You want to be in that space because it's not about obligation. It's not about becoming better. It's not about working to heal certain parts of yourself. It's about showing up and experiencing sincere wonder and joy and comfort. A comfort that maybe you also long for and can give yourself in certain ways. So let's start with that. Let's start with this comfort piece. Let's explore comfort, beauty, and playful reverence in the context of altars, but I mean, whatever your practices are, or even if you don't have any daily practices or rituals, and even if that makes you feel kind of constricted in your body, totally relate to that, and you can still use these elements, right, in a way that supports you. So when we start with comfort, comfort is the thing that I focus on most in the mornings. And I'm saying that because when I think about an altar practice, I think about the the morning routine and talk about an idealized, oh my gosh, um, I'm not going to say vision of something, but an idealized picture, right, That's that makes primo content for... YouTube and Instagram and how peddled it is, this idea that we need to have a morning practice, a consistent morning practice in order to be successful or in order to, you know, seize the day or at least for myself when I think about, you know, someone being a spiritual person, it comes down to this morning practice. If you're anything like me, I have had enormous debilitating morning anxiety and this is something that I don't think is talked about enough but then you know once you get talking to people it's like people wake up feeling like they have a rock on their chest or they launch out of bed and already feel like they're behind even if it's 7 a.m. that was one of my big ones 
I, the, I think the peak of my morning anxiety was in 2016. This is what really geared me toward focusing on comfort in the morning and in terms of all practices based around presencing, contemplation, mindfulness, anything in that kind of area. So I, I really talk through this in a written piece that I, that I did called Morning Guesses. And it's called Morning Guesses because Elizabeth Gilbert refers to the decisions of her past selves with you know a kind of term of encouragement where she says, good guess, good guess. And I love that. I love that kind of benevolent personal regard where you just tried the best with what you knew and you tried, you, you really put sincere effort in. And the thing that I'm always trying to keep absolute top of mind, top of heart, is that people do things for a desired outcome. So they're taking actions or holding beliefs or making choices for a given outcome that they desire and or to avoid suffering. And that the effort put in to avoid suffering and work toward what we think will make us happy and make us feel stable and whole and well and um, our quote best selves you know we're, we're just trying our best and I, I just want to say that too in looking back at yourself or even right now in this moment in this day maybe it's morning for you right now and you're just really trying your best and maybe you're making a lot of guesses that aren't really working you're trying a lot of things and can you also regard yourself in that way of like good guess okay let's keep trying and the thing that I'm always trying to say is you don't have to do it alone we're not meant to go at things alone but anyway this piece is called morning guesses and I really talk through morning anxiety and working through morning anxiety it's not something that I experience I've built a relationship with it so if you if you want to read this if you're also somebody that has that you'll get a lot away from that piece and the second complementary piece with that is a resource sheet of practices and ideas and perspectives to support your mornings you know I, I didn't add anything obvious or conventional so I remember clearly waking up in the morning. Sometimes it was 5 a.m., sometimes 5.30, 6, 6.30, sometimes the aim was 7. All informed by these ideal images of a morning practice with a sitting space of having a formal meditation and an altar practice. That that was like the holy grail. That was what would set me up. And that was the answer in a certain way. I remember so clearly walking down the hallway that connected my bedroom to the living room and sitting down at the altar and feeling so far from it, feeling so disconnected. Ooh, like wiggly, but that's not the, it's like wiggly, but in the most uncomfortable way, not wanting to be there, right? This can happen when we sit down to try to meditate. And you know what, especially if you have a, a daily practice where you sit through that, sit through the discomfort. I was really realizing through this process, I, have seen these altars and hear about people that have these practices where maybe they do spells or maybe that's where they do their manifestation stuff, you know, yada, yada. I've actually never seen somebody sit and hold an altar practice. I did not grow up in a household that had altars around. It really felt like jumping into the unknown to sit there and say, oh my gosh, what is going to come up? What do I do? What happens? 
How do I do this quote right? And I have something to say for that. The first is orienting toward comfort. When I say comfort, think about what associations come up. Because automatically for me, I'm guessing I'm not the only one with this, it seems to kind of be on the opposite side of discipline. Sometimes you have to work through the discomfort to be disciplined, right? Even when I said sitting through the discomfort in meditation, comfort can be associated with laziness and being complacent, right? Do you have any of these? When really, when we make a relationship with comfort without the guilt and without, yeah, just without these guilt trips that we can put ourselves on or taking on the, the shaming from others or um, feeling like we're maybe behind seeing what other people are doing. When we can actually dignify our need for comfort. Your body needs comfort to feel safe and it's okay to want to feel nurtured, right? And even this idea of our comfort zones, we have our comfort zones for a reason. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't or that we can't take steps beyond our comfort zone, but it means that it doesn't have to be an area of resentment. If you are creating an altar for the first time, if you have an altar that you never sit at, if you have an altar that you have kind of a contentious relationship with, what happens when this actually becomes a location of cultivating comfort as a path to cultivating your visions? Because when, when you can rest in comfort, then insights can come up. Then, then the path of least resistance can show itself. Creativity loves safety. And safety can be found in creating the conditions for comfort. So the shift that happened, one of the shifts that happened was approaching the altar space or approaching the sitting space or, you know, it can be the meditation cushion or anything like that from a place of it being not of discipline or I'm even thinking like the word that's coming up for me is pious this putting so much pressure on ourselves that if I can't do this every single day or if I make my altar and then it just gets dusty and I, I forget about it and it's another thing that I drop right it's another promise or pact that I make with myself that doesn't go through then I'm not serious enough and what I'm sharing is that this is not true and that giving comfort a chance <laughs> is one way of rewriting the associations we have with discipline or our practices or uh, consistency, yeah? This is why succulent devotion is so luscious and so intriguing. And this enters into the second point, which is beauty. An altar is a physical marker where you get to make a creative vignette that expresses beauty that just radiates beauty in your space it can have flowers if that's possible if it's not on the ground maybe and you don't have a pet or a baby that's going to get the flowers or candle candles or art or i'm not going to get so much into what can go on the altar what i recommend is going through 
your space with fresh eyes, with an eye toward what you find most beautiful and most meaningful, and just intuitively collecting pieces and also being open to making some things for it or to having maybe a more um, bare or kind of simple altar if you don't have a lot of pieces. It can also be things like rocks that you pick up outside. Not, oh, this is something that I should have on an altar and anything like that. Just going with your heart. And the second resource for that is Sarah Faith Goddess Diners. The Moon Book talks a lot about correspondences and things that can go on altars. But letting beauty be your guide and letting beauty be your practice and the building of beauty with a physical spatial marker as an altar as a way of accessing and nurturing your visions because there's there's a high chance that your creative power and your visions are closely aligned with what you find to be most beautiful. John O'Donohue said, I love this quote, that beauty is that in the presence of which we feel more alive. Just very simply distilled. Beauty is that in the presence of which we feel more alive. This is why we have visions, right? To feel whole, to feel fully expressed. Beauty can be a, a powerful um, way of finding clarity when you, when you sit and look at something that you just you can't stop looking at because the, the form and the colors and maybe the luminosity or the pattern on it is so beautiful. There's something meditative in that in itself. John O'Donohue also said, quote, we can slip into the beautiful with the same ease as we slip into the seamless embrace of water. Something ancient within us already trusts that this embrace will hold us. I'm going to read that again. We can slip into the beautiful with the same ease as we slip into the seamless embrace of water. Something ancient within us already trusts that this embrace will hold us, end quote. And do you see the comfort piece in that? How these can complement each other? When making an altar, when holding a practice of sitting at an altar, beauty and comfort can live so closely together that there's something embracing about that that supports us in embracing our visions and moving forward on our visions in a way that is in succulent devotion or whatever kind of terms feel most alive for you. I want to say another thing about this too with altars is that you don't have to actually sit at an altar for it to be effective for you or for it to aid in transformation for you. So I think that that would be more supportive is if you can sit often every day, multiple times a week. It might not be in the morning. It might be in the evening. You know, I have already noticed that I gravitate toward this space in the evening. It's not at a standard time. I'm just really like embracing ease around it and not this regimented discipline. But you might also have an altar that exists on a shelf or in a corner or something that you don't sit at. Or it might be in an area that you are, quote, meant to sit at and you don't. And it's okay, you know. I love what Sark, the author Sark, said about having inspiring books, books to enrich your life. They can be all stacked up on your bedside table and you actually don't have to read them for them to work. You might get a lot more of it if you spend 
time with the author's words and even come back to those books again and again. But it's still, the presence of it still matters. And the choice to have it in your space still matters. You never know when you're going to sit down at the altar. You never know when you're going to sit down at the meditation cushion or when you're going to open that book or when you're going to try that new way. And if you do feel that you want to sit at an altar that is created specifically for directing your energy and intention to serve a certain group of people or individual, or if you already do this, like every day, if you already do this and are curious about a practice to use in your own practice, here it is. The first thing, of course, is settling, settling the body, presencing lightly. So this can happen through establishing the conditions for comfort, right? Seeing, is your body comfortable? Do you feel physically supported at your altar? Here's a really good example is where I'm sitting right now. I realized (laughs) that I was just honest with myself about it. I would not sit here if I couldn't have my back up against the wall when I was sitting. Although right now my back isn't up against the wall, it is behind me, which even feels grounding knowing that it's behind me. But when I do sit here, usually I sit with my back up against the wall and I I know that it will make my sitting more frequent. So do what you need to do to get comfortable, using comfort as an entry point to settling the body and presencing. And the second entry point that we have with this is Beauty, this is why we started with these two things, is one way to settle is to focus on the flower, is to focus on the candle, the rock, the image, the the written quote, and we settle. From there, I would recommend tuning in to the collective body of who you're serving. Larger collective that your work serves or your work is seeking to speak to. And then from there, if you breathe into it, something that can be really helpful is to breathe in and feel the breath going up your nose, down your belly. And then when you exhale, feeling it go up your heart and out your heart radiating outward. This is something that I learned from Joanna Macy in her book, world as lover, world as self. This was the one, I think it was, uh, I want to say it was in the 70s, but maybe it wasn't that old. It was in the old version of her book, so maybe it's not in the new one. But tuning in to the collective demographic, voice, identity, niche, whatever word fits for you that you are speaking to. And from there, tuning into the impact of your work the mark that your work is making, and the impact that your work wants to have. So this might be separate from your own intentions or your own motivations. How does your work want to express and impact that collective that you are just tuning into? But also thinking about the environment, thinking about how your work is meant to impact yourself, your relationships, your lifestyle, If this layer is relevant to your work, how does your work want to impact your local community? So really tuning into the impact and giving breath to the impact and staying with it. 
really seeing it through and seeing the different layers of it. If it feels uncomfortable just to sit doing this too, I have a little notebook at my altar, like, a, you know, the little ones that catch ideas, <laughs> and a pen. And you can also always have a big notebook when you go to the art stores and you can get like the largest notebook that you can find and have that open so that it can catch whatever whatever you're thinking or moving through or even have it speak through your handwriting or drawing. So while keeping that collective in mind that your work serves and potentially the message there and the impact of that work, the whole point of its existence, why it's there, what kind of transformation it's there to bring, what kind of suffering it's meant to alleviate. See if you can tune into individual people, whether they're clients, whether it's the, an individual reader, an individual person that's going to be holding the handmade mug, let's say, if that's something that you make, or wearing the dress. Tuning into one person at a time, fully imagining their suffering transmuting and imagining their highest expression of self, any creative dreams that they've shared with you, tuning back into impact, imagining the ripples of their wholeness on the collective, on the environment, on their relationships. If you do have clients, or if you are writing with one specific person in mind, whether it's for them, like in the case of a client, if you're tuning into their transformation, or if you have one person in mind that a piece is dedicated to or a practice is dedicated to, you might want to have their name on the altar. So I have this with my present clients and future clients that I'm looking to call in. And after swimming in that, continually again reorienting toward comfort, and beauty and noticing what sensations are coming up, noticing what images are coming up, letting your hand write or draw or letting yourself get up if you want to. This can happen in a matter of minutes. This can happen in an hour. There's no rules. If it feels right, see if you can tune into the legacy of your work, both forward and backward in time. That's both visible and invisible. That's both known and unknown. This might be the time of connecting with your personal ancestors or chosen ancestors that are related to this work. Just see where the practice takes you, you know, and be willing to be surprised. None of this is homework. None of this is the determining factor of your success or the project's success. And so invite some lightheartedness into it as you're also stepping into a practice of reverence. And so with that, to also wrap up this episode, I'm going to just briefly share about playful reverence. And playful reverence is something that I look forward to making a whole episode on. When I think about playful reverence, this really came out of that time of the peak morning anxiety. And so if we just break that down, thinking about the word playful, there's pleasure and amusement there. And reverence, of course, is the deep respect for something. And so when you think about playful reverence, think about deep care plus non-attachment. You know, think about approaching something, whether it's this practice or your day or a conversation or any kind of recurring pattern in your life, going back to habits or challenges. Think about approaching that with a depth of heart but also with remembering the magic in being lighthearted too. 
And of course, this doesn't apply to everything. It's just something to consider. The process of bringing your work into form and the process of becoming more fully yourself, right? Of pivoting toward wholeness and all that's encompassed in that. So maybe establishing boundaries or even potentially moving beyond your comfort zone while still honoring it and seeing why it's there. This can be fun. This can be a source of pleasure and amusement in your life. You can catch all of the shoulds and the rules about what it should be like or these unchecked assumptions that we carry and question those beliefs and see what happens when playful reverence is woven in. It is very complementary to both comfort and beauty. And with that, we are wrapping up this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this with a friend or someone that you think will also enjoy it. And if you enjoyed this episode, you'll love the Gentle Musings content portal and community membership where the pieces that I reference, so morning guesses and also the resource sheet all about mornings, as well as some photos of my personal altar, which I'm not going to share on Instagram or any other, I don't know, any other social media platform because it just doesn't feel private. I'm also moving away from that space and focusing more of my attention into Gentle Musings, both this podcast and the membership community. Yeah, you can see photos of my altar there, the altar that I'm sitting at right now, and read those pieces. And if you enjoyed this and want some community support and some ritual around your visions, cultivating your visions, and coming into a new relationship with them so that you can bring these visions into form, we have quarterly visioning sessions through Gentle Musings. So think about co-working only around your visions, right? Like visionary co-working. So it's an intimate group. We meet four times a year. It's available to all patrons at all levels. And it's a space to privately explore and engage with your visions through creativity and contemplation. This might look like collaging or writing or movement. And also the opportunity to be witnessed or witness others in sharing of their visions. So these could be fully formed ideas or these just could be threads and wisps of creative desires and creative dreams and realities that we want to live into. So that is happening. The next one, the second one ever is happening on July 2nd. Um, I would love to be in that space with you. And even that space can be a time for you to make your own altar, to sit at your altar, to talk about your practice, to get support around your practice, and even to show it to other people, you know, just to see, to see what happens when we don't always go at these things alone and when we can approach it with reminders of playful reverence. So again, that'll happen at the Gentle Musings Community Membership and Content Portal, which is simply at patreon.com slash gentle musings. There's a ton of stuff there to support you in your processes. This is a central part of Regarding Do, and this is the way that Gentle Musings started. So it is a fabulous way to support this project if you are called to and if you enjoy this so that I can keep making these episodes too. And with that, I will see you next time and take good care. Bye.